It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday in Southern California. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley from our studios in San Diego. We welcome you to our Thursday weekly podcast. And John, do we have a ton of topics on the table to talk about? This is really going to be a great sports weekend. Before we get started, though, for all those who are new to our Thursday podcast, we do this every week. We invite you to become a subscriber so you'll get the alerts when we put things up on our YouTube channel. And at the same time, we've created something at the end of the show for you, the fans, Fans Forum. John, give them a quick description how they can subscribe. Yeah, so fans out there, you can subscribe um, to all the audio podcasts on Apple Podcasts, on Google, Spotify. Um, You can go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and there's a link there to subscribe to the audio podcast. Of course, you can also go on the YouTube channel for Lee Hacks saw Hamilton, click on the subscribe button and then click on the bell. You'll get the alerts and then you'll be notified when we have live streams and other episodes that we publish. And when we're done, we'll ask those watching and listening to respond in the fans forum. Yeah, the fans forum, great segment. You know, if you've got a take for Hacksaw, questions, comments, type them in in the live stream on either Facebook or on YouTube. We'll see them here in the podcast studio. We'll show your name, your avatar, and your question up on the screen, and Hacksaw will kind of respond, and we'll make this a a, a fans forum dialogue. To give you a historical perspective, here's what's going on in the world of sports. Here's what we think on a Thursday afternoon John, what do you want to start? we got to go World Cup, man. It's going to be a great week. I'm really fired up. Bring on the games. Football. F-U-T-B-O-L. First round begins on Sunday. Host Qatar against Ecuador. Team USA, they play on Monday. Team Mexico, L3, they play on Tuesday. Let's talk very briefly. Monday, USA versus Wales. Christian Pulisic. The responsibility is on your shoulder. Team USA, loaded, but very, very young. Pulisic will go against Wales. Wales is led by the legendary World Cup and international star Gareth Bale. Team USA's got a lot of firepower. Everything around Wales, the small country on the English countryside, swirls around Gareth Bale. The other game on Monday is going to be England versus Iran. Now, this is all part of Group B. And I will tell you, when you talk England, you're talking about all their stars from the English Premier League. That's Marcus Rashford. That's Harry Kane. That's the whole group of guys that play at Liverpool and Manchester City. England, Iran in their first game. Then on Tuesday, you got Mexico surrounded by all this controversy. Mexico is going to play Robert Lewandowski and the high-powered team from Poland. This is an enormous challenge for Team Mexico. And this group, this Group C, has to be turned the group of depth. Because Mexico is in the same group, not only with Poland, but with legendary Argentina. This is going to be an enormous challenge, the first round games involving England, USA, 
and then Mexico. And there's other storylines, and we're going to get to all these as we progress here. Not only do we have the stars that we all identify with from Pulisic through all the guys in the English Premier League, we've also got injuries. And, John, this is really, really hard. France has to play without Paul Pogba, uh, the Juventus star, who has not recovered from injuries. Major injuries in England. Mexico without Corona and Jimenez. And Senegal has just lost its star, Sadio Mane. So there are some marquee guys that won't be playing to start the World Cup of Soccer. And I think that puts some of these teams really behind the eight ball. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. We're going to learn about all these teams. We're going to maybe be reacquainted for some, with some of the American stars because we know they've been playing overseas. But it's just incredible. It's a young team for the United States. You know, they're they're going to be making a big effort here in Qatar. But I, I've been hearing that they've been sort of getting this team ready because they know in four years the World Cup's coming back to North America. So there's a lot going on, a lot of different strategy, both short term and long term for the American team. OK, let's start. We're going to talk about some of the teams for just a bit. Let's talk about Team USA. Uh, the whole s- the spotlight from the World Cup has been on Christian Pulisic. The spotlight is also on the goaltender, Matt Turner. As John just alluded to correctly, this is the second youngest team for Team USA in the history of World Cup soccer. Average age, just a shade over 25. I'm a little bit surprised at the structure of the roster because they did leave some young guys off, led by Ricardo Pepe. They left veterans off. There is no Michael Bradley at midfield. Now, granted, he's 38 years of age. There is no Jonathan Brooks, the longtime fullback. He's had a lot of injury problems. There's a lot of newbies, John, that have never played at this level, and they're going to be asked to step up and follow the lead of Christian Pulisic. Now, the other thing is the injury situation, because Matt Turner's had injury problems. The number two goal scorer, Weston McKinney, has had injury problems. They're going to need McKinney to be able to play every minute of every game. They'll need Tyler Adams to step up. They are bringing up front and center the young kid, Gio Reyna. This is his maiden voyage at World Cup play. If some of these guys who are in support of Christian Pulisic can score goals, I think Team USA has an opportunity. But it's going to be an enormous challenge just based on how young they are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be amazing because we talked about how you need veteran leadership when you get into these marquee tournaments. Do they have some of those guys? And we've talked about, you know, uh, uh, Paul Areola and some of these other you know, veterans are left off the roster. Is that going to bite Team USA in the behind? We'll find Team out. Team Mexico, holy cow. This controversy just will not go away. Uh, the, the selection of the roster has just led to enormous conversation about that guy, Tito Martino, the head coach, and whether or not he's made the right decisions. We had talked in the past about the fact the legendary star Chicharito, Javier Hernandez, MLS star, not included. They just detailed this week why Chicharito is not on Team Mexico. He evidently was implicated in some type of scandal in New York importing prostitutes uh, at at the game team hotel. Uh, That's why he is not part of this roster. This thing has been going on for two to three years. And this week it finally spilled out. ESPN Mexico is the one that broke the story. But they've got injury problems. There is no Ramirez. He has never recovered from injuries in the English Premier League. There is no Corona who broke his leg. And now on top of everything else, we find out that one of their other young stars, Alejandra Zendejas, refused to sign a contract to play for Mexico because of that coach. So that they are down four potential frontline guys. 
And in addition, one of their veterans, Charlie Rodriguez, went public this week in Mexico City and condemned the Mexican Soccer Federation and their leadership, John, because they're not developing young players. Their roster is really old, and they're without four guys or five guys because of injuries and because of personality clashes. Uh, this this like looks like it's going to be horrific. And by the way, Mexico's in the group of death. <laughs> There's always a group of death in these tournaments, isn't there? Yeah, it's great that they always have to name one of them. But this is crazy. I mean, this the crisis and drama with the Mexican roster, with the U.S. roster. Are all the other international teams going through their form of drama in Brazil and Italy and France? I mean, what's going on? Well, not so much with Brazil and Argentina and the guys from South America, but the injury thing has hit France and some of these other clubs. Mm-hmm. And if that's not enough, we got the scene setter. They're playing in Qatar. And there is huge controversy about the fact that the World Cup was awarded to Qatar. And FIFA is caught in the middle of all this. FIFA is the governing body that controls everything in soccer globally, including the World Cup. And the allegations that FIFA's people five to seven years ago took bribes and voted Qatar to have and host the tournament just will not go away. And now on top of that, you got the president of FIFA writing two letters this week, one asking each of the 32 teams and federations to focus on football and nothing else, not not Qatar's inequities, not Qatar's treatment of immigrants. Six thousand workers died while building all these facilities in the last five years, not Qatar's treatment of women not Qatar's treatment of gays and lesbians. They want, FIFA wants the games to go on without all this stuff that's out there. And Qatar's government leaders, they would just like you to see Qatar as they view it, not see Qatar as the reality as the rest of the globe views it. And if the first letter from the FIFA president wasn't bad enough, now came a second letter in midweek, John, in which he asked Russia and Ukraine to create a ceasefire in the war for the full month so that the games can go on without any distractions. Please tell me what world FIFA's president is living in right now. How about that? I mean, staggering it's, story. it's unbelievable. I mean, these international events, whether it's the Olympics or World Cup, I mean, there is a political angle to it. Oh, and, and and it's a shame that now they're going to be suppressing, you know, some of the things they want to sweep under the under the rug. But, you know, this is supposed to be, a, you know, we're supposed to be an enlightened society and we're seeing this oppression in, in, in Qatar. But, you know, the funny thing with the well, not really funny, but the thing with the bribes. Kind of sounds like Salt Lake City, right? In the oh, Olympics. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so not saying that, you know, it's good for the goose, good for the gander, but it's just so much corruption that is involved in these city selections. Well, Sepp Blatter was the leader of FIFA when the first corruption stuff surfaced and all these payoffs and all these guys, their upper echelon got suspended. And now Sepp Blatter this week, and he's out of the circle, he's not a decision maker any longer, but Blatter said these games should have never been given to Qatar. Well, where were you seven years ago when this thing was truncated and allowed to happen? You were taking payoffs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, it's just staggering. And now for FIFA to say, Russia and Ukraine, we need a ceasefire. And for FIFA to tell the world and all the confederations, just focus on football. Just ignore everything else happening in Qatar. <laughs> everything is beautiful for the next 32 days. I mean, I'm just staggered 
by their attitude and their approach to doing business. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's like the, the statue of the three monkeys, you know, over their eyes, over their ears, and over their mouth. I mean, come on, man, you know? Well, if you're a soccer fan, I hope you will respond at the end on our fans forum, and I hope you will follow uh, the World Cup. Team USA plays Wales 11 a.m. our time on Monday. And, of course, England plays Iran before that. So television will be filled with World Cup soccer. Uh, let's go from that. And let's bring it back home and let's talk baseball. Yeah, baseball is going to be great. I mean, the 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 free agency is blowing up. There's already been some deals. Players have signed. There's been some trades. And there's been a lot of great stories already coming out of Petco Park. Well, last week when we did our Thursday podcast, I told you that the Padres had about $28 million in budget space to be able to deal with their own free agents and then do something from the outside. Well, the whole key to Major League Baseball is pitching. And if you got good pitching, great. And if you can keep your good pitching, that's even better. And then do you go get more pitching? The Padres re-signed their starting pitcher, Nick Martinez. Came from Japan, became a really valuable, versatile guy for the Padres, first in the rotation, and then as a long reliever setup guy, he opted out of his contract. He just got a pay bump from $7.8 million to upwards of about $10 million for the next, at least the next three years. And they re-signed Roberto Suarez, who had opted out, and I think this was more an administrative thing, had an unbelievable season coming from Japan, Mexico, and, and uh, Venezuela, and they re-signed him to a five-year deal base pay raise from $5 million up to $10 million. So the Padres locked down two guys that were integral depth guys to what they need to get done. Now, at this point, they've kind of committed a pile of that $28 million they had to those two guys. So it now remains to be seen what they do from the outside. Is there enough money to go get another starting pitcher? Or do they do it via trade? But who are you going to trade? Because they've kind of stripped the farm system bare. Or... Do you just ride the wave of what you got and hope everybody is healthy and the young pitcher, Ryan Weathers, bounces back? That's one item. And because they have a, a small, smaller amount of money to use, how do they spend their money? Because last I checked, they still need a first baseman. They're still going to need a left fielder, and they still need some bench chips. So, but they fired the first shot by, by keeping Nick Martinez and keeping uh, Robert Suarez. Reaction from yeah, Padre fan? Great moves. Um, and I love how Martinez recognized that this is a place where the fan base is rabid, the the players, the management, the ownership all want to win. So he's in. And I love hearing that. He'll slot in, hopefully, that number four starter spot. And then, yeah, Robert Suarez. I mean, he was just so great. And I was surprised he didn't test the market, but maybe he had similar feelings as Martinez. But love having him back. Well, remember, Suarez is 31 years of age. This guy's gone through a lot of adversity and fought his way into becoming a really good relief pitcher, and he's here, and he's found an established role, and he's getting an unbelievable payday. I don't know very many first-year players who go from the base $5 million right up to $10 million. And <laughs> at, at this point in time, just because of the age and the injury history that they've had with Drew Pomerantz, and the fact there's only one year left on Josh Hader's contract, although it doesn't mean he can't be re-signed, but it'd be a mega investment if they did that. That might be the future closer a year from now. So I think he found a comfort zone, and they gave him a chance, and he, he showed some loyalty, although obviously his his pay scale got bumped up. Okay, from Padre Baseball, 
Let's go to the other team in Southern California that made news this first week of free agency. Well, I mean, I think I was pretty happy to hear this news is that this guy, Anderson, who was killing the Padres, is now out of the National League West. Tyler Anderson leaves the Dodgers. This was a bit of a surprise. He turned down the qualifying offer of $19.6 million. He signed the first day of free agency down the road. He's an angel. And he got a three-year, $39 million guaranteed contract. So... He forfeited $19 million on a one-year deal to get $13 million for each of the next three seasons. And old dog, new tricks. I mean, they taught him a different grip on a slider. And suddenly, a guy who had been a journeyman with the Pirates and the Seattle and been let go shows up at Dodger Stadium and becomes a critical role player as a starter. John, he went from, I guess to a degree, the waiver wire to a 15-5 and record with a 2.67 ERA. That's unbelievable. And, and now he's an accomplished pitcher, and he slots into the angel rotation right behind Shohei Otani, and they still got three or four other young guys. Now, the Angels, I don't think, have a lot more budget space to use, but this, this was quite, quite an acquisition. And I'll throw this one out you. There's a rumor out there that the Angels are going to make a run at Dodger shortstop Trey Turner. Now, they'd have to overpay to get him, but they could do this. you got a new owner coming in, and the reason you go get Turner is not just what he does as an everyday shortstop, 300 hitter with power, pretty decent glove. You're sending a message to Shohei Otani that if you get Trey Turner and add him to the other three stars in the lineup and you just solidified your pitcher with a guy who's 15-5, and five, joins your staff, that's a, now it suddenly seems like, feels like a different environment for Shohei Otani. And does he look at the Angels in terms of an extension based on what the general manager just did? Your reaction? Yeah, that's an interesting angle because Otani is, you know, he signed a one-year deal. He's already expressed his displeasure with the team and the, and the ownership. And they're, un, they're for sale, so it's a lot of funky stuff going down. Um, yeah, getting Trey Turner, that'd be a big boost. It's Tyler Anderson kind of slots right into there. That rotation, they really need more pitching in Anaheim. But who would have thunk that Tyler Anderson would have been one of the first free agents signed? You know, usually the big names go first, and then some of the the middle-tier guys like Anderson go next. But, you know, everything's upside down. Dodgers, should they hit the panic button? They're going to lose Trey Turner probably. Should they hit the panic button? They just lost a starter that was 15-5. and But keep this in mind. And they're not talking about it publicly, but I'll talk about it. They got five young arms that appear ready to make the step from Oklahoma City to Dodger Stadium. These are names to keep an eye on next year who could be part of the rotation, aside from Julio Urias and Clayton Kershaw. Ryan Pepio, Michael Grove, Bobby Miller, Andre Jackson. Four starting pitchers, and then there's one reliever in the mix. That's five really good arms that were at AAA that might be ready, one or two, or maybe all of them, to make the jump. So that's why I don't think the Dodgers are freaked out about the defection of uh, Tyler Anderson. And they're going to get Dustin Maybach. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. And that's a frontline guy who will be 100%. He pitched pretty well down the stretch at the end of the season after coming off that elbow surgery. Now, the Dodgers do have a decision to make by this weekend. Do they offer an $18 million contract and the last year of arbitration, do they offer it to Cody Bellinger? Or do they, if they don't offer it by the Friday night midnight deadline, 
He's a walk-free agent. What do they do there? They have not traded him, so therefore that to me means there's a commitment there. Are they going to offer him 18 mil, which would be the arbitration tender? Do they offer that to him to stay or not? Interesting storyline with the Dodgers. But these five young arms, that's probably the reason that thing with Tyler Anderson happened. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. The Dodgers organization is so deep, great development. They just reload. Um, yeah, does Trey Turner, you know, go somewhere else? Probably. They could slot Lux in there. Maybe they'll get Correa. There's a lot of free agents on the on the uh, market right now. Uh, but as far as Bellinger goes, I mean, they've been trying and trying to resurrect, you know, that MVP season he had, what, like four or five years ago. It may be a lost cause. And they, they may need just to, you know, flip him to some other team. Yeah, but the fear factor is I trade this guy, somebody else figures it out, and this guy is doing it for somebody else now. <laughs> and I don't think you're, I think you're trading low if you move him because I don't know what his market value is. But what if somebody else, sort of Boston gets him? What's if Boston figures it out all of a sudden at Fenway Park? Holy cow. That's why I think the Dodgers are leery of letting him go. But boy, 18 million for a guy hitting. A collective 205 last three years. Mm-hmm. John, not good. All right, before we delve into other baseball stories here, John, for all the people who are following us on our live stream, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, etc., uh, introduce to them how you subscribe to get the alerts and tell them about Fans Forum at the end of the show. Yeah, so let's let's talk about Fans Forum. You know, we're already seeing some questions and comments coming in on the live stream. So if you've got a take, a hot take, a comment, a question for Hacksaw, type it in on live on the live stream on either Facebook or YouTube, and then we'll present it here on screen and we'll engage there at the end of the podcast episode. Meanwhile, if you like to subscribe, go to the YouTube, go on to the Lee Hacksaw Hamilton channel, click on subscribe, click on the bell, you'll get the alerts. And oh, by the way, you can you can get the recorded version and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, on we go. We got more baseball free agency to talk about. Week one is underway. As we said, the Tyler Anderson signing was the first one. Let's talk about who's out there and the price tag. The reports out of New York from the national media. Aaron Judge price tag will be $41 million per season, John. Uh, Eight-year, $332 million deal. Could be the Yankees. I don't think it's going to be the Dodgers. The Giants are still out there. So you got Aaron Judge. Trey Turner, ex-Dodger. And I say ex because I don't think he's coming back. Average price, $34 million per year. Eight-year deal, two sixty-three. This Angel story is kind of out there on the periphery. There are a lot of teams that need quality shortstops. Carlos Correa, $32 million, just slotted under Trey Turner. His name has surfaced with the Cubs. His name has still surfaced with the Dodgers. Uh, name that... Is not getting a lot of national link and probably should. Xander Bogarts, Boston Red Sox. Uh, his price tag is probably about $28 million. Rumor I hear, and this is kind of hard to believe considering all the money they've already spent, but they did get to the World Series. Philadelphia Phillies, Xander Bogarts, and Dansby Swanson, Atlanta. Now, he's a homegrown product. Uh, he has built his career. Arizona drafted him, traded him pretty quickly. He's, he's found stardom, and now he's going to get a payday. Swanson is in the mix. So, I mean, collectively, there are a really lot of quality shortstop. On the pitching front, you got the 39-year-old Cy Young Award winner, Justin Verlander, and he reportedly wants the same type of money, $40 million, that Max Scherzer got to stay where he is with the New York Mets. I don't know whether Houston's going to do that. you got Carlos Rodon, the ex-White Sox uh, draft pick. Uh, pretty good season in San Francisco, but hes I don't think he's a $20 million a year guy, but he'll get a, a pay, dump, pay bump. And then the wild card in the whole thing, 
And I kind of link this guy to the Padres, but it might be too expensive. Kodai Senga, uh, the mm-hmm. Japanese pitcher, who has a, a record of 104 and 51 in Japan. And he has come in stateside, and he's already working out here in the States. Uh, there's going to be some type of bidding for him. But the teams that have a history with Japanese players, notably the Padres, the Dodgers, the Mariners, and the Chicago Cubs, they seem to be the hot teams that would go after Senga. Uh, somebody's going to get a pretty good number three starter out of this because this guy has proven himself. He's going to be 30 years of age, got a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's dominated. He's totally accomplished a lot in Japan, so now his ability is to come here. So those are the hot names there. What do you think happens? Well, I think this is exciting because, remember, for the longest time, we used to think of baseball in Japan was sort of at the AAA tier for the United States, but it's right there on the cusp, and it's great to see some of this international talent come to America and make it a more global sport. So I love that. If the Padres could sign bonus. That'd be wonderful. The other angle to this that I love is that it's just so exciting. You know, there's all these different (laughs) players, all this money being thrown, and it's coming down like around Christmas time, right? So it's like, what's in your stocking? You know, what are we going to do this year? I forgive you for walking around the house with your cell phone waiting for your next alert on free agency. I mean, you're like me and every other baseball fan this time of the year. Yeah, so exactly. keep that in mind. Horrible story in Major League Baseball. This involves a guy that many thought was going to be a superstar with the Dodgers and he's really fallen off track. He got traded. He went to Cincinnati. He went to Cleveland. He's out of the Major Leagues. He tried to play in Mexico. He played last year in South Korea. Yasiel Puig is now looking at a five-year prison sentence. Uh, he just pled guilty this week in New York. Uh, he's got a gambling addiction problem. He's facing a five-year sentence, a $55,000 fine. He lied to the FBI about his involvement with a gambling ring that was put together by two minor league players in Newport Beach. Those guys are going to prison, the two guys that created this gambling ring. He got caught up in it. It wasn't a sting on him. It was a sting against Wayne Nix, a former minor leaguer that formed this gambling ring. His attorney yesterday in New York asked for leniency, saying that Puig has attention deficit disorder, has mental health problems, and has a gambling addiction. In one month's time, he lost $282,000 in bets on sporting events. (laughs) Then he got involved and continued to place bets in a two-month span in 2019, at the end of the baseball season, he placed 898 bets in a two-month span. I mean, that's a significant gambling addiction, a significant problem, and he got caught up in this. Uh, they're not saying that he was wrong for placing bets. What they nailed him on was he lied to the FBI when they had all the data. John, if I called you in for an FBI hearing— That means they got information on you. You better tell them the truth. And he lied. He lied like four to five different times in a different Mm -hmm. series of questions about his relationship. And this guy, as Vin Scully used to call him, the wild bull, when he first came up with the Dodgers, you thought, holy cow, look at this talent. He, of course, came from Cuba. Uh, It's a big, big issue. And his game eroded. Dodgers got tired of the act and all the problems and all the distractions. And he became a journeyman. And now he's out of baseball. His lawyer has asked for a probation and the fine, not five years prison sentence and a fine, saying he needs mental health help. Bad story. Really sad story. 
Yeah, I mean, this guy is kind of a dope. I mean, when he, I remember we, uh, were, I was with my son and we were out, um, you can see, play travel ball and in spring they're, they're out there in Peoria. So we were going to watch a travel ball games, but then we go check out the spring training facilities, went over to Camelback Ranch where the Dodgers are, and we're looking at the scoreboard, their starting lineup, and the number three batter is this guy that's like Puig, or what does that say? Does it say pig? What is that? And sure enough, this dude walks up and he is massive and he just launched bombs out of that stadium. I'm like, this guy's legit. And so then he comes on the Dodgers, he's tearing it up, and then he starts getting a little goofy, you know, kind of uh, doing his own antics. And it, at first it was kind of endearing, but after a while you knew this guy has some mental health issues. I'll tell you what, you looked at him early on, and I'll, I'll, I'll zoom back with you for just a second. He played his first three games with the Dodgers here against the Padres. I don't know if you recall this. I think he went eight for 12 and he threw guys out from the wall in right field with laser shots from right field. Yeah. I looked at this kid and I said, holy cow. And he that he had come up towards the end of that season. And there was a stretch of time, John. He was hitting 600 when he first got here at Dodger mm-hmm. Stadium. And he, he wound up hitting over 300 in that in that group of games that final third of the season, I said, boy, this is a star in the making. And next year, he continued to hit, continued to make plays. I mean, he's an unbelievable physical specimen. But as you say, then his personality traits took over and his productivity started to get down. And then there were issues in the clubhouse and there were relationships with the manager. And no, I won't do that again. And then he'd do it again. He'd show up late. He'd miss uh, batting practice. And he finally said, enough is enough. And of course, his productivity went way down. Mm-hmm. And Gave him away to Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati let him go, and he went to Cleveland. He was there for half a year. Then next thing you know, he's in the Mexican Winter League, and he goes to South Korea. Didn't hit very well over there, and then now all the stuff is surrounding him. So troubled soul. That's about the only word I can use to describe the sadness of what this whole Yasiel Puig thing has evolved into. Let's go to the National Football League. Big weekend ahead of us, and boy, are their teams in trouble. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers are just getting ripped apart. So, I mean, it's sometimes is it bad luck? Is it the Spanos curse? I mean, what's your angle, Axel? Chargers play Kansas City Sunday night. This is kind of a crossroads game. Chargers are in real trouble. A good piece of news on Thursday. I saw the video before we started our podcast. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams ran all the routes they needed to run in practice at full speed. The explosiveness, etc. Keenan Allen has played the part of the first game, and he played one quarter of a game about week six or seven, and has not been able to play because he's keep having setbacks. It looks as if he's ready to go. So now the burning question, does he hold up? Mike Williams ran all his routes. He, of course, had this significant ankle injury. He looks like he's ready to go. So for the first time in a while, Justin Herbert looks like he might have top receiver one and top receiver two when they play the Chiefs. On on uh, Sunday night, we don't know about the tight end Gerald Everett yet. Now, defensively, it's a disaster. No Joey Bosa. Then they lost the defensive tackle, Austin Johnson. Then they released number one draft pick, Jerry Tillery. And then they lost two of their younger defensive linemen for the year this past weekend. So they are a mess. And here comes Kansas City. Now, Kansas City's a little bit dinged up. They got wide receiver problems. Guy's not practicing this week, but we'll see by Sunday night whether or not these wide receivers, uh, Juju Smith and Marcus Scantling, can play. But Kansas City walks in the front door, John. Get these stats. They're averaging 423 yards per game. 
Patrick Mahomes, 51% conversion rate on third downs. Patrick Mahomes, 67 completion percentage rate. They've scored 34 touchdowns in half a season. They're just blowing people away. Uh, That's a really, really good football team. And the Chargers, at this point, they have to win to retain their hopes of being in the wild card race. Because if they lose and they drop to 5-5, and and then they go back out on the road again, you know, and they they still got to play Seattle, and they still got to play Aaron Rodgers, and they still have to play Tua in Miami. If the Chargers lose here... They'll be three games back at Kansas City, and they won't even be in the hunt for a wild card spot with a chunk of games still to be played. So they got problems. Don't you think that the Chargers are just like wasting Justin Herbert's career? I mean, this is another season with lots of injuries. This guy's loaded with talent, but it just seems like everything's crumbling around him. Well, their roster on paper, fabulous. But the game's not played on paper. Game's played on people, uh, and it's played on the field. And what's on paper? The names on the injury list. You know, last week, John, they had nine starters that were down, either already on the injured list or got hurt in the game last week in San Francisco. So, I mean, they're just cursed. There's a black cloud of injury. We really need a Santa Ana win to roll into Orange County, Mm -hmm. into Costa Mesa, and blow this black cloud of injuries away from the Chargers because it's just been exceptional. They're not the only ones in trouble. The other team is in trouble in Los Angeles, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Rams are just, they're also disintegrating. This is a Super Bowl championship team that is like, how many wins do they have? Like three? I mean, it's trouble. Who would have thought anything Sean McVay had his fingerprints on would be nine and six? Or I should say three and six. That's where they are right now. The Rams are just shredded by injuries. Now, I guess a piece of good news, Matthew Stafford, the quarterback, has come out of concussion protocol. Did not practice up until Thursday. Has practiced Thursday, will practice Friday, will play this weekend. However, is he a hit away from going down again? However, how can they protect him? They, they lost two more offensive linemen last week. They have, they have one starter in the offensive front that's back. That's it. Uh, can't run the ball. And not a complicated. The other guy in the picture, Cooper Cup, 76 receptions. Ankle surgery. He's been placed on IR, gone four to six weeks. Uh, We can have him back if we make the playoffs. But how are you going to make the playoffs if you're three and six and all your guys are hurt? So it's just been catastrophic what's happened to the Rams. And the defense can't do it by themselves. And Aaron Donald and those guys are, are playing really hard. And statistically, their defense is pretty good. But this is this just looks like this is the beginning of the end. Hard hard to believe. John, could we say this from Super Bowl to out of the playoffs in one year span? And this is much like the Chargers. This is just injury after injury after injury. It just has not abated. Yeah, it's 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 damaging to the sport in general. You know, when you have some of your marquee teams, particularly the ones in the major metropolitan areas, the top cities in America that are struggling so badly. So, yeah, it stinks. I mean, SoFi is just kind of this this pit of doom right now. <laughs> Dark cloud. Yeah. A real dark cloud. Okay, from that, let's go to college football. It's an interesting weekend in college football. I know there's a lot of USC fans and UCLA fans that live in Southern California, especially in San Diego. They are fighting 
Trojans Bruins renew their bitter rivalry Saturday Rose Bowl. It's going to be an insane asylum. It's going to be a mob scene. There is so much importance that's what's on the line. If USC wins, they keep themselves in the hunt for being one of the final four teams in the national playoffs. If they win, they guarantee themselves a slot in the Pac-12 championship, maybe against Oregon, or maybe a replay game against Utah. If UCLA wins, they derail USC's hopes for anything. It might propel UCLA into the Pac-12 championship game. I don't think the Bruins at this point are (coughs) going to be under consideration for anything with the national playoffs. But I will tell you, if you like offense, pal, you better watch the Trojans and the Bruins. Look at these numbers. USC is averaging 499 yards per game on offense. Oh, my God. Caleb Williams, the quarterback, 3,010 yards and 31 touchdowns already this season. Now, they need all that because their defense is giving up 394 yards per game. Nobody's talking about their lack of defense. And I don't think USC goes very far if they get to the playoffs because they're not playing defense. They're not stopping anything. What complicates what happens at USC is they don't have their star running back. Travis Dye rushed for almost 900 yards, transfer from Oregon. He's gone with a broken leg. So now there's even more on Caleb Williams' plate. UCLA comes to the line of scrimmage with a fourth-year starting quarterback. And we've talked off and on about him this year, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. The guy throws the ball, the guy runs the ball, the guy makes plays happen. He's been responsible for 27 touchdowns on the season. Robinson, and their offense is averaging 504 yards per game. Think about that at UCLA. Robinson has almost 2,900 all-purpose yards. He gets it down the field, and he can also scramble. Their running back is one of the more unheralded running backs in the country, Zach Charbonnet. He's a transfer from the University of Michigan. He's got 1,153 yards on the ground, and he is just a power guy. So if you like offense, meet Caleb Williams and cheer for the Trojans, or meet DTR, the quarterback, and his top running back, and cheer for the Bruins. It's going to be wild, and I don't think anybody is going to stop anybody defensively come Saturday. And, boy, there's a, those trophies for the winner really important this year. I mean, it's crazy. In Los Angeles, the the Rams and the Chargers are struggling, and the Bruins and the Trojans are doing great. So it's nice to see those two teams going head-to-head for something with something serious on the line. But as explosive as that USC offense has been since Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley came over, no relation, Lincoln Riley, well, the same. The opposite has happened with the Sooners, of course. They've been struggling. Their offense is in the tank. Kayla Williams is a legit talent, a legit Heisman Trophy uh, potential winner. Yeah, by the time we get to the 1st of December and I have to figure out my Heisman vote, it's going to be complicated. So USC-UCLA, I just don't know that the Bruins can stop the Trojans. I do think the Trojans are going to have trouble stopping UCLA. I guess the wild card in the whole thing. If UCLA can pound the football with Charbonnet and run it enough with Robinson quarterback, maybe they keep Caleb Williams on the sidelines standing next to Coach Lincoln Riley. Mm-hmm. Going to be fascinating. And this is we have not had a lot to yak about USC, UCLA in recent years. We do this time. This is going to be a fun, fun Saturday. And by the way, a week from now, then we have Michigan, Ohio State, if we don't have enough to talk about. I mean, isn't this a great time in sports? I mean, we've got college football, all the rivalry games. We've got the World Cup starting. The Aztecs are in the Maui Invitational. you got free agency with baseball. I mean, this is a great time to be alive. In the, and you've got NFL Sunday to talk about, oh, that too. too. yeah. Okay, time for fans form. John... 
let's see what the fans have got to say. Uh, and we got some not only questions and statements, uh, we'll have some responses as we go along. Get us started. Okay, this is from Ted Turan. Really enjoy Hacksaw and Riley. Yeah, Ted's a good guy. Um, Worked with him for quite some time. George Laza says, bleep and brilliant. You are correct. <laughs> yeah. And here's another one from George. The best damn 15. People love you, Hacksaw. I told you, let us do it our way. We'll do it very successfully, whether it's the local teams in town or the stories around the country. For the W, let's go Blue Bombers. Uh, Canadian Football League fan, Winnipeg Blue Bombers play the Toronto Argonauts in the Canadian Football League Great Cup. That's their championship. That's their Super Bowl. It's going to be in Saskatchewan. You know how cold it is in Saskatchewan right now? But they're going to play. And it's interesting because I've been a great proponent of the Canadian Football League as a place for young quarterbacks to go to develop. The starting quarterback with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a guy by the name of Zach Caleros, he started at the University of Cincinnati. Wasn't good enough to be in the NFL. That's no problem. Went to north of the border. He's won two great cups already in the Canadian Football League, so he will start. And the starting quarterback with the Toronto Argonauts is a guy that used to be at UCLA. And it's absolutely amazing that that he has made himself into a CFL star quarterback. So we've got an unheralded quarterback that walked on on the CFL after getting cut by multiple NFL teams who's evolved. And you got Caleros, who came across the border from the University of Cincinnati. He has been a star. And a Canadian league is so different. Holy cow. Three downs, 110-yard field. They're throwing the football all the time. So it's going to be on TV down here on ESPN2. So you want to see the Canadian Football League on Sunday. It's really a different taste. I mean, how, how many, um, I mean, we know about Warren Moon. He went in the Canadian League, came to the NFL. So did Doug Flutie. Flutie, okay. And, and Joe Seisman way back in the day. Okay. The, the, the issue is that every NFL team will bring five quarterbacks to camp. Well, when the NFL camps are open, the CFL camps have already started and they're about to start their season. They start their season really early because they need to end it in November because of the Canadian weather. The problem is that there's not a ton of these quarterbacks who think they all have NFL aspirations that want to go to Canada. The other thing is the price. They they pay okay in Canada, but there's a difference between a quarterback making 400000 and a guy making $1.2 million to be a backup or be the third quarterback on somebody's roster. So it's been tough for them to go get marquee names. Uh, but that being said, I, I've got friends. I know quarterbacks who have gone there, have found the game, have adjusted and learned the game, and love, love living in Canada and love playing in Canada. The money's very different. The recognition is very different. But you're playing pro football and you're making money. And I'll tell you what, Zach Caleros would probably rather be with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, for this game against the Toronto Argonauts than be in, be in somebody's developmental squad with a chance you could get cut tomorrow and not have a job at all. Wow. It's incredible. I, I just know very little about the league, but you know, I'm going to tune in, right? It's it's uh, the Great Cup here. And and here you go. You got uh, from uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk there <laughs> supporting you, Hacksaw. Well, I do stuff every week uh, with my, my friend Andrew Patterson and, and their podcast uh, on Winnipeg. Sports talk. So, yeah, looking forward to it. I hope the Blue Bombers do well. Okay, here's a, another comment from Angie Neal. Any update on the potential sale of the Commanders? It's still there, still ongoing. I still believe that even though there will be a change in Congress, I still believe that the data is the data, and I think that Daniel Snyder will be forced out. But I don't think the sale is going to happen a week from Monday. I think it's going to be a long, drawn out process, but I think Snyder will be removed or 
Whether or not he's going to be convicted of anything or charged with anything remains to be seen. But I, uh, my whole theory is you don't screw around the government. You don't screw around with the IRS. And he may have, at least that's what the allegations are. It's amazing how many of Hacksaw's headlines are about all this police blotter, people getting in <laughs> trouble with the law. I mean, it's unbelievable. Somebody's got to cover it. We'll talk about it. Yeah, there you go. So here's another one from William Chris Stevens. Hey, man, appreciate you. You the best. Go Chargers. Yeah, hope so. Uh, I root for the Chargers quarterback to go 17-0. and I root for Dean Spanos to go 0-17. But, and I feel really bad. I, I know Tom Telesco, the general manager, very well. I, I know the coaches up there. I feel really bad for Brandon Staley because, like I said, on paper, really good team. But now all the names on paper on injured reserve, hell, they might have a better offensive line and a defensive line on IR than they have on the field right now. And that's, that's really tough. Yeah. Well, let's who we got here. Uh, from Brett Shepard, Canada is the best country. Okay. And uh, he goes, uh, go on and ask, do you think the new owners will change the commander's name? No. no I don't think no, that'll there'll be anything. No, there'll be nothing done there in marketing. And I don't think they're going to change the coach because I think Ron Rivera's got those guys playing really hard. But they need to get healthy. And then they need to solve the quarterback thing. I think that's a big storyline that you have to talk about is whether Carson Wentz is really the right quarterback. And if it's not him, can you survive with a journeyman like Taylor Heineke? But that's, that's another topic for another day. Hey, we got some uh, comments from the YouTube channel. Fire away. Okay, so people like to respond on YouTube with the clips that we post. And here's one reaction from this is in regards to the Chargers and all their injuries. Michael S. says Chargers have consistent problems keeping players healthy for decades. With that said, they're doing decent. Been a fan since 83 when we moved there. I've been uh, through a lot of bad years, but looks like another year or two before we could go into the postseason or, and become a major threat. Uh, like I said, I thought based on everything they did in the offseason that they would be a pretty good football team. And Michael, it's not happened. And it's it's not I don't it's got nothing to do with Tom Telesco, the GM. It's, I think it's got less to do with Brandon Staley. It's just to do with the fact they can't keep their players on the field. And, you know, give credit to Justin Herbert, John. He fought through all the adversity with the rib cartilage damage. And granted, maybe he played at 50% efficiency, but he hung in there and he did not get further injured. And he's kind of he's kind of roared back. But they have so many injuries. And I just don't know over the final half of the season how they're going to hold up. I mean, they got they got two rookies, raw rookies, first year guys playing at left tackle and right tackle. That's really hard in the National Football League. And, and Herbert's been able to avoid the rush, not take a ton of sacks, not expose himself to getting blown up. He just doesn't have a lot of guys around him. So Sunday night, if Keenan Allen can stay on the field and Mike Williams can stay on the field, and the fact that Kansas City's a little bit dinged up now at the wide receiver core, they've had three receivers who've missed workouts this week. Maybe the Chargers have a chance to stay in the game, but Kansas City's so diverse. I mean, there's a reason they're averaging 423 yards per game on offense because they're that dangerous and that explosive, and they got Patrick Mahomes. Wow. It's interesting, too. The Chargers, two nationally televised games in a row, right? So um, it's just... You just kind of wish that they could get their act together and make it a competitive race. But you got a couple more comments here from the YouTube channel. Uh, this is in regards to the, the, the Astros 
uh, comments. We talked about Bob Crane, the owner, and the whole cheating scandal. And this is from Minerva Garza. She says, I don't think the Astros will ever care from now on what anyone thinks. All they care about is beating the teams you like. The Astros fans can live with MLB hating the Astros as long as they keep winning. And that's just what they've been doing since 2017, winning a lot. I can promise everyone, like these men here, the Astros and the fans just don't care. Hate them. Take the hate with you to the grave and be buried in it. The Astros will not stop trying to win to make you feel better. They're just not. Well, when uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, when I think of Astro Baseball, the first thing that flashes to me, cheats. I think of Astro Baseball, and this may be unfair of me to say this, I think about 1919 Black Sox scandal. I think what, what has permeated this whole situation is that owner, Jim Crane, refuses to stop talking. And, and think about this. They just won the World Series 10 days ago. Their general manager quit. Really? Yes, their general manager quit because Jim Crane offered him a one-year extension. Then they fired the assistant general manager. This is who is close to the current general manager. I mean, it's absolutely stunning to me that you would operate a baseball franchise the way they're operating this franchise and how Crane treats his people. That being said, he does pay his players very well. Now, keep this in mind. Justin Verlander is a free agent. If Crane does not take care of Justin Verlander, are you going to tolerate an owner? Let's a Cy Young Award winner go away. Are you going to allow this owner to have fired the general manager who wanted more than a one-year contract after what he had just done in the rebuild? So a lot of this junk that's still swirling around the dislike of the Houston Astros comes because of Jim Crane. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think the fans are in a unique spot because they finally have a team that won it all, and, and they feel like they won it legitimately. And this, they rebuilt it quickly. And they did. And so the fans have a lot to be proud of. They're probably sick and tired of hearing about the trash cans and the, and the, you know, the electronics and everything else. But you know what? That was BS in 2017, and they need to be called out on that every single time. Well, nobody got disciplined outside of the organization paying a huge fine and the fact that Jeff Lunau, the general manager, was removed and the head of the farm system was removed and Alex Cora was removed. So it, it still stings out there, but maybe the further we go, time will go away if Jim Crane will shut his mouth. And I, that, to <laughs> me, is a big issue. Okay, we got one more here, Axel, from the YouTube channel comments. This is from John Crabb talking about the Brittany Griner story out in Russia. And, she, and he says, there are thousands of people in this country that are in prison for 10 plus years on marijuana charges. Are they political prisoners? Where is the movement to get them freed? What makes Griner special? Just because she can put a ball through a metal hoop, we should swap a convicted Russian arms dealer for her? I think there's validity in that critique. Now, I will tell you, those who've been sentenced to harsh penalties for, quote, marijuana, they're starting to get pardons. Obama pardoned a bunch. Biden has pardoned a bunch. I think this will grow as we go. Uh, but there's no doubt that Griner is being held a political hostage by that guy. That guy that's firing missiles into Ukraine every day. Uh, it's, it's a big issue. Um, should we swap a gun dealer who killed a lot of people to get Brittany Griner and somebody else out of prison in Russia? Maybe. I don't, I don't have an answer to that. Uh, I guess what stuns me is Brittany Griner went abroad to play, and we knew the country she was going in. How come her and her people did not know what the laws were about marijuana, 
vapes, etc. She had to be made aware. Her people had to make her aware of the danger of traveling to that country. Uh, did not happen. She got caught. Was an accident that stuff was in there? Maybe. But I'll tell you, the Russian authorities, they looked at, quote, the medical waiver her doctor gave her. That doesn't count for anything in Moscow. Maybe here in California, in Iowa, in Houston, maybe that medical waiver is legal, not abroad. So how come her people did not guide her to make better decisions? Or was it just an absolute bloody accident that the cartridges were in her bags? Um, it's tough. I mean, that's a, a person who's making a million dollars a year is now working in a penal colony, knitting uniforms for Soviet soldiers who are fighting and killing people in Ukraine. My God, how hard would that be emotionally? So we'll, we'll see if things change. Um, I just get the sense, and all, all my family members are in the military. I just get the sense that we're going to wake up one morning and something will have happened in Russia because the report is that there are over 100,000 deaths and casualties of Russian soldiers in the nine months since this whole thing in Ukraine started. And I'm just wondering if we wake up one morning and the oligarchs in Russia, who used to be sided with Putin, are no longer siding with Putin, and whether there's some accountability. Will, will there be an upheaval there? Don't say it can't happen, because this has happened in the Soviet satellite country. So this bears watching. It's It's horrible. Uh, what's happened in Ukraine. I, I said this way back. In fact, I might have said it in one of our first podcasts we ever did. We should all wave the Ukraine flag. And I'll, I'll say this. I would think that the president of Ukraine and the soldiers should be up for the Nobel Peace Prize for what they have done on behalf of their country to fight off this revolution, to fight off this incursion, to fight off the trauma and the death, etc., I mean, if, if we're talking about somebody who deserves significant award, I've been in Oslo, Norway. I went to that center. Uh, I, I think those people in Norway, what that president represents, what those soldiers have done, they deserve to be considered for the Nobel Peace Prize. End of my political statements. <laughs> well, I'll just say this. It's, she's clearly a pawn in this whole thing, and it's a shame. And I'm always disappointed when Americans are sort of thrown her under the bus. You know, I mean, let's defend our people. Um, but isn't it interesting how we kicked off the podcast talking about World Cup and talking about how world politics and current events are intersecting with the world of sports? And now we conclude our podcast with a similar theme. Yeah, very much so. Sports is important, but politics always finds a way to seep in to the world of sports. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our Thursday broadcast. We are here. We do a podcast every Thursday. Then occasionally we do special podcasts on Monday. Also, subscribe to what we're doing because then you'll get alerts during the course of the week when we make some special information available on a future podcast. Thanks again to John Riley. We'll hope to talk to you next Thursday for Thanksgiving week. Thanks for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.